houses. And I got to let you know that we are absolutely freezing in this church. The foyer in our offices are super cold. Not sure if it's worth turning up the heat for four people. But anyways, I'm just going to give you guys some quick announcements here. Um, your tax receipts, your charitable donations should be in the mail. So keep an eye open for those. This weekend is a special day. It's Valentine's Day. So just a reminder for all you guys, um, I personally buy my wife gifts the day after Valentine's Day because everything's half price. She's okay with that. I don't want to recommend that for everybody, though. But yeah, this weekend is Valentine's Day, and there's a Valentine's Day challenge and um, a marriage seminar. So just look in your bulletin for that information. I want to give you guys an update on our Family Matters meeting that happened on Wednesday. Just want to con congratulate Sarah. She got voted in as a deacon. And our budget has passed as well, too. And I just wanted to let you know that our associate pastor candidate was not confirmed. Uh, we want to thank him for sharing part of his life with us. And as a church, we really need to, to keep lifting him and his wife up in prayer. And we just want to wish you guys the best. And we know that God has a plan for you. Um, can you just uh, bow in prayer with me? We'll just give our services to the Lord right now. Lord, I thank you so much for your goodness to us, Lord. And God, we just lift our church up to you, Father. We pray that um, your Holy Spirit would just speak through Mark, Lord. And God, we just pray for Mike and Vanessa, God. We ask that you would comfort them. And uh, Lord, we just pray for direction in their life. And we thank you for the opportunity, Father, that um, we, we got to know them, Lord. And we just pray that your will would be done with them, God. And God, we just um, thank you so much, Lord, for your goodness to us. And we just really pray, God, that as a church, that we would seek you for our future and our direction. In Jesus' precious name, amen. All right, right now we're going to go to uh, our kids' moment, and then we're going to hear Pastor Mark preach on Jonah. God bless. I would encourage you to join me in turning to the book of Jonah as we come in our series on Jonah to chapter 4. And we've spent the past few weeks, uh, well, Jonah's been a blessing. We've seen lots of amazing things, some wonderful things, some surprising things. We've seen some miraculous things. Uh, but you know what? Even though we've come to this place in the book of Jonah where, you know, the city of Nineveh has now been saved by grace and through the word of God that, that Jonah preached, we realize God is not yet finished because God still has one more heart that he wants to touch and that he wants to change. And that's the heart of Jonah himself, which is actually what Jonah chapter 4 uh, focuses on. And I would just invite you to follow along as I read uh, Jonah chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. It says this, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die 
than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat there east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He set, it, he set under it in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and it made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray that, that Lord, the passion for your word and the working of your Holy Spirit would bring just, just warmth to our hearts this morning. Uh, Lord, that you would be at work in them as we, as we hear this truth, as we learn these lessons uh, from this book of Jonah. Uh, Lord, I just pray that, that you would be near, that you would be speaking, that Lord, you would be the one who is our teacher and leads us into truth. And Lord, we just want to invite you, uh, invite you as Lord and God to come into our teaching this morning, uh, to direct us, to guide us, and Lord, to help us apply this truth to the way that we live, that we might live not just in obedience to you, but Lord, that our hearts might also be in tune with yours. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's a cute story about a man who is walking down the street in his neighborhood, uh, and he noticed one of his neighbors, who was all alone, struggling with a washing machine at the doorway to his house. So the man walked up and just volunteered to help, and the homeowner was overjoyed. So the two men began working on the bulky appliance, one from inside the house, the other from, you know, outside on the porch. But after several minutes of fruitless effort, the two stopped and just, they stared at each other in frustration. The washer just wouldn't budge. And they looked as if they were on the verge of total exhaustion. Finally, when they had caught their breath, the man said to the homeowner, I'm not sure we're ever going to get this washing machine in there. To which the homeowner replied, in? I'm trying to push it out. And those men discovered the source of their problem. They were not working in the same direction. They were not on the same page when it came to the washer. And when it comes to being on the same page, this chapter 4 of the book of Jonah, it tells us that God and Jonah, even though they were working on the same project, they really weren't on the same page uh, when it came down to it. Because while Jonah may have stopped fleeing in the opposite direction of God, they certainly weren't seeing eye to eye when it came to the fate of the city of Nineveh. Because remember, God had just shown amazing love an amazing grace 
to the people of Nineveh. I mean, this city was undeserving. They, they were unbelievably wicked and cruel, and they deserved destruction. And yet, God sends the Jonah there to preach, and he preaches, and the city repents, and God forgives them. And actually, we read at the end of the previous chapter, in Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, it says, When God saw what they did, and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And that's good news. I mean, that, that's exciting to see people saved. I mean, D.L. Moody, I found a great quote. D.L. Moody once said, There's no greater honor than to be the instrument in God's hands of leading one person out of the kingdom of Satan into the glorious light of heaven. You know, when people are saved by grace, heaven throws a party and God's people should rejoice in that truth. And yet look at Jonah's response. Jonah chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, it says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. You know, it's interesting that to me, that Jonah's confession here about God in these verses is practically not just the theme of the book of Jonah itself, it's almost the theme of the entire Bible, that God is a compassionate God, that God is gracious, that God is forgiving, that God is merciful, that God is looking to offer people, all people, hope and salvation and offering it to them freely and generously. God is a good God. In fact, Jonah may even be quoting from Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7 here. This is when the Lord revealed himself to Moses, where it says, verse 6, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's who God is. So you know what? God's behavior towards Nineveh is just God being true to who God is. This shouldn't come as a surprise to us. God's faithfulness to who he is shouldn't be a shock. And yet what is a shock is Jonah's response. Because basically Jonah is saying, you know, God, all that faithfulness stuff that you are, that's really what I hate most about you. I mean, God, all that love and mercy stuff that makes you who you are, sometimes I really just, I just can't stand that. I mean, God, couldn't you just once forget about being gracious and just level that city? I mean, God, couldn't you just once just forget, you know, go against your nature to show mercy to people and just really let those people have it? God, couldn't you just one time not be a God of love and just be a God who hates all the same people that I hate? But I told you so, God. That's what Jonah is saying. I knew you couldn't do that. And maybe he got his hopes up, but deep down, Jonah knew he's had, God had to be true to himself. So Jonah says, basically, God, if you absolutely have to be that gracious, kind, loving, merciful God, I wish you would just leave me out of it. In fact, come to think of it, God, I think I would rather be dead 
than have to watch you be like that to those people. Because Jonah hated Nineveh. Um, you know, I remember back in the glory days of hockey here in Alberta, uh, it wasn't uncommon to hear people say, you know, my favorite two teams are the Oilers and anyone who's playing the Calgary Flames. Because we hated the Calgary Flames. We didn't care, you know, who did it or how, how it happened. We just wanted to see their team lose. We wanted bad things to happen to our enemies. That's what Jonah wanted for Nineveh, but now Nineveh is instead saved. I like how one person put it, Jonah was burning with anger because Nineveh wasn't burning at all. And yet, Jonah's response here, it just seems so extreme. It seems so out of proportion. Jonah's attitude stinks so bad it could almost be labeled biological warfare. It is not a good look for a man of God, especially a prophet of God. Which actually raises a question for me when I was looking at this passage. And that's, why are we being told this? Because when you think about it, why even include chapter 4 in the book of Jonah at all? I mean, chapters 1 to 3 make a very nice little package. Chapter 1, Jonah runs. Chapter 2, Jonah repents. Chapter 3, the city is saved. End of story. Just stop it there. Put a bow on it. It's done. It's neat and tidy, and it's happily ever after. Why drag all of this up? Why show us Jonah pouting at all? Well, it's because the story isn't over. And the truth is, when it comes down to it, the book of Jonah is not just about what God wanted to do for the city of Nineveh. I think the even bigger point of the story all along is what God was trying to do with Jonah. And in light of that, there's still obviously a lot of work that God has to do in the heart of Jonah. Because even though Jonah learned to obey, uh, even though Jonah eventually went to Nineveh and did exactly as God had asked him, it's pretty evident that Jonah's heart, his heart just wasn't in tune with the heart of God. And for God, that is a major problem. Because God's desire for Jonah and God's desire for us, for all of his people, God's desire is that God wants our hearts to be a reflection of his heart. That we would be in tune. That we would take joy in the things that bring God joy. That we would weep over the things that makes God weep. That our hearts would be broken by the things that break God's heart. Our hearts would be in tune with him. And that's what God has been trying to do in Jonah's heart all through this book. And everything that's happening here has been a part of that. The Bible even goes out of its way to tell us that everything that's taking place in Jonah's life isn't a coincidence. It's appointed by God. God sends a great storm. He prepares a great fish. He's the one who provides the plant. He appoints the worm. He commands this drying wind. All of these things are, are things that God is creating as opportunities so that he can use these opportunities to shepherd the heart of Jonah closer to himself. You have to see it as God actively working in Jonah's life to bring him to a place where the heart of God and the reality of his grace might break through to this stubborn and pouty prophet. And the rest of chapter four is, is where really that lesson comes to a head. As God begins by asking Jonah a question in verse four. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? And as you read that, you might want to really sort of mentally underline the word in that verse, you. Do you do well to be angry? Because I think what God is asking is, 
He's basically saying, you know what, seriously, Jonah? Like, do you have the right to be angry about grace? You, Jonah, you who thought running from God was a good decision. You, Jonah, who willingly rebelled against my will. You, Jonah, who so forcefully resisted all that God wanted to do and work in your life. You really think that you have the right to be angry. Because I think God is saying, you know what, from where I'm standing, Jonah, it was just over a month ago that it was you who was calling out for help. It was you who needed deliverance. It was you who desired mercy. And Jonah, when the chance came for you to experience God's grace, you jumped at the chance and you rejoiced and you sang a song of salvation and thanksgiving from the belly of a fish. Back then, you thought grace was a great idea. But now when God offers that same salvation and that same grace to someone else, now you're upset. Jonah, don't you think that that's perhaps just a little bit self-serving and hypocritical? You really, Jonah, want your argument here to be that God's grace is great when it comes into my life, but you want justice and virtue, or justice and vengeance for everyone else? Because Jonah, is that really the stance that you want to take? Do you do well to be angry? Considering where you're at. And look at Jonah's response to God's question. Verse 5. Jonah went out of the city, and he sat to the east of the city, and he made a booth for himself there, and he sat under it in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. Jonah's response to God is right out of the how to throw a temper tantrum for four-year-old's handbook. Jonah says, I'm going to give God the silent treatment because, yeah, that's going to show him. I'm going to sit down and pout. At least I guess he didn't do that thing in the grocery store when the kid lied down and screams, but he's pouting. That's what Jonah does. Jonah walks off, he puts up a tent, and he just, he mopes. But you know what? If Jonah thinks that's going to be the last word on the subject, here's another thing coming. Because God moves to stage two, which is an object lesson of sorts. And verse six says, Now the Lord God appointed a plant, and he made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So part of me is assuming this little shack that that Jonah set up for himself wasn't really cutting it, that the heat of the desert sun was just too much. So God sends Jonah some assistance in the form of a plant. The plant offered shade. It was a relief and a comfort from the scorching sun. And I want you to hear this clearly. This plant that God sent was every bit of it another gift of grace to this very undeserving man. And we're told, Jonah loved this plant. Verse 6 continues, Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Jonah is ecstatic about it. He rejoices in it. You get the sense that Jonah might think this is the best plant ever. Jonah despises the city. He's mad at God. He hates his own life, but he absolutely loves the plant. I mean, I get the sense that, you know, when he gets back from his trip to Nineveh and his friends say, Jonah, how was your trip? He's like, it was lousy. But man, there was this plant and this plant was awesome. I wish you could have seen this plant. He's exceedingly glad. The text is almost telling us that Jonah in some way is giving his heart 
to this plant. He's getting emotionally tied up in it. But then look what happens. Verse 7 continues. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. The next day that plant, that plant that Jonah loved so much, the next day that plant is dead. And it's not just dead, it's gone. It's shriveled by the heat practically to nothing. It withered. And Jonah is miserable all over again. He's maybe even more miserable now than he was before. And you know what? For a second time, Jonah asks to die. And for a second time, God responds to Jonah by asking him a question. Verse 9. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do. I do do well to be angry, enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. God again comes to Jonah here and says, Jonah, I know you're angry, Jonah, but Now you're angry about a plant? And you're angry enough to die about losing this plant. And Jonah says, yeah, angry enough to die. So God offers Jonah a little perspective. He says, Jonah, look look at that plant that you love so much. It's just one plant. And you didn't create that plant. You didn't buy it at a store. You didn't plant it. You didn't water it. You didn't care for it. It just appeared for only one day. And it was no more to you than a little bit of comfort on a hot day. You had nothing really invested in that plant at all. And yet you gave your heart to it. And now the loss of that plant is tearing you up inside. But Jonah, look at the city of Nineveh. You see, that city isn't some little plant that grew up overnight. It's a city full of people. People that I care about. People that I love. People that I personally created. I formed each one of them in the womb. I can call each one of them by their names. Every detail of their life is personal to me. I know their hopes. I know their dreams. I know their fears. I know their pains. I know the numbers of hairs on every one of their heads. But Jonah, the people in that city, the people that I care about so deeply. They don't know me. They never had that chance. And watching them try to find their way through the world without me was breaking my heart. They got themselves so lost in their sin. And Jonah, when I look at them, I don't want to lose them the way that you lost your plants. Because they mean too much to me. So I ask you, I ask you, a man who has known me his entire life, a man from a people who have over and over and over again experienced my grace and my mercy, I ask you to go to them and tell them that I'm here. 
So Jonah, when those people that I love and I care about, when they responded to the news that you told them about who I am, how could I not show them my love and my grace and my forgiveness in the same way that I keep showing it to you? You see, Jonah, that's where my heart is at. That's always been where my heart is at. And I'm not sure how you could have missed it. And this is the reason that God called Abraham to, out of his land that he called home to a place that God would show him. This is the reason that Jacob wrestled for God's blessing. This is why Moses led the people out of Egypt. This is why God raised up judges and established kings in Israel. This is why God gave them their, the law and the holy priesthood. This is why God continued to send prophets to speak in his name and call his people back to him. This is why God made Israel a nation in the first place. Not so that they could live comfortable lives while everyone else would die in their sins. God did it so that the world may have a chance to know that he is God. But Jonah, somewhere along the line, you missed that. And you just made it all about you. Bless me, Lord. Bless my family. Bless, bless my friends. Meet my needs. Answer my prayers. Help my people. Me, 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 and my, my, my. And Jonah, it's come to the point where you now care more about a momentary plant that makes you comfortable than you do about a city full of people who bear my image facing an eternity in hell. So Jonah, what are you concerned about? Is it your plant? Because the Lord is concerned about the lost souls in this world. Jonah, what are you concerned about? Is it your reputation? Because Jonah, the Lord is concerned about the people that he personally created who bear his image but face eternal separation from his presence. Jonah, what are you concerned about? Is it your comfort? Because Jonah, the Lord, is concerned about the generations of lost people who do not yet know his name or his salvation. Jonah, open your eyes, look around, look at the city, look at the people and truly see who they are and ask yourself again, what should you really be concerned about? Your plant or the people? And that's the question that confronts us as we come to the end of the book of Jonah. And you know, God could very well ask us the same question. What are you concerned about? Mark, what are you concerned about? Well, Lord, I was wondering when I could get the new iPhone. Well, Mark, the Lord is concerned about the families in your community that are hurting. Mark, what are you concerned about? Well, you know, God, there's this coronavirus and it's making my life pretty miserable and some days I just want to sit home and pout and feel sorry for myself. Well, while you're pouting, the Lord is still concerned about the people in your neighborhood that are feeling alone and isolated and who need to hear that they matter and that they're loved by God. Mark, what are you really concerned about? Well, I guess I was wondering what I was going to have for lunch, but what about the lost? Well, you know what, Lord, to be honest, I guess I haven't given the lost much thought lately. I just, I have so much other stuff going on in my life. I just, I don't, I don't really see them. And yet what I think the Lord is telling us here is that all around us, right now, 
there is still a generation of people who are struggling and hurting and lost in sin. But sometimes we just don't see them. But those people are breaking God's heart. You know, there's a generation of teens struggling to find belonging. Generation of single moms just trying to get by. A generation of children living in broken homes. A generation of girls starving themselves to look like women in the magazines. A generation of boys with access to pornography at their fingertips. There's a generation of people all around us who need to hear that there is hope and that there is good news. A generation of people that needs to hear that there is a God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, who loves them so much that he sent his son to earth to die on the cross for their sins. There's a generation of people on our very doorsteps who need to hear about Jesus. While I'm too often miserable because I can't find anything worth watching on Netflix. And I realize that I can be just as blind as Jonah is so many days. I can just be complaining about the petty problems in my life, concerned about foolish things, while there's a world all around me that needs grace. And that's a, that can be such a painful lesson to learn. And how does Jonah respond to God's lesson? Does he continue to hold on to his anger and nurse a grudge? Does he continue to put his own comfort before the call of God? Or does Jonah finally learn to let grace win? Well, the answer is we don't know. We're actually never told. The book just ends on that question. And it's kind of maddening to bring us all this way and just leave us guessing. But you know what? In the end, maybe that's exactly the point. Because it doesn't matter what decision Jonah made. What matters is the decision that we are willing to make when we're faced with the exact same question. I know this morning I had a whole bunch of applications I wanted to give to you, but after all was said and done, I think there's only one thing that really matters. And that's asking ourselves the question, where is my heart this morning? Is it in tune with the heart of God? Is is my heart in a place where it can see other people? Where it can see the lost? around me? Is my heart in a place not only to accept God's grace, but also to be willing to actively share it with the people all around me? And you know, there may be no better place for us to actually ask and answer that question than at the Lord's table this morning. You know, just as God sent Jonah a plant as a reminder of his compassion and his goodness, we've been given this table, the Lord's table, to remind us and focus our hearts on God's grace. This table reminds us where God's heart is at. John 3, 16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So in what we have left of our time together, May we just remember and rejoice and celebrate the grace of God that he offers to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, his son, knowing that in it all, we were once the ones on the outside. We were once the sinners in need of grace. We were once the ones who needed to hear the good news of God's forgiveness. And that grace was received by us in our lives, but not so that we could keep it to ourselves. And not so that we could be comfortable. 
so that we could in turn share it with others and allow that grace to continue to transform our hearts. May we truly be able to see the people around us. We're just going to take a short break. Uh, we are going to celebrate communion, so if you need some time together, uh, some bread and some juice, uh, please take that moment, um, and we'll come back and celebrate communion together. But I'm just going to pray uh, before we take that break. Father God, uh, Lord, thank you for this day. Um, thank you for this truth. Thank you for this lesson that we learned as as I said, as difficult, as, as hard as it could be. Uh, because, Lord, as we look at this book of Jonah and this wayward prophet, Lord, too often we see ourselves in his behaviors. And, Lord, it's not always a, as extreme in our lives, but, Lord, I see that selfishness in me. I, I see that rebellion sometimes where I don't want to do what you're calling me to do. Lord, I, I know there are times when I resist your leading. And sometimes when I prefer to be comfortable, then more comfortable than I want to be obedient. But Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts. That Lord, you would align our hearts with yours. That Lord, because your grace, Lord, is easy to receive, but sometimes it can be difficult and, and a little scary to, to, to give it away. Uh, Lord, grace is easy to receive, but Lord, sometimes we're too self-focused to remember to give it away. Lord, your good news is precious, but too often we find ourselves guilty of keeping that news to ourselves. Lord, I pray that you would just do a work in our heart to change our hearts, that, Lord, you would open our eyes to see, see the city, see, see our neighborhood, see all the people around us, that we would see those people the way that you see them. See people that are there who you love, who you created, who you have a passion for, but, Lord, also people who need to hear the news, the good news of grace. And Lord, they're only going to hear it if it comes from us. And Lord, as we come to this table again, Lord, may we remember and celebrate your grace. But may we always be mindful that it is also our job to share that grace with other people. We ask this in Jesus' name.
As we come to the communion table again this morning, may you know that you, well, may you know you, you are loved by God. May you know that this table is a symbol of God's grace, that he has lavishly spent on you and on me, that God is a good God, a God is a compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, who keeps his faithfulness to all generations, and that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross in our place because he loves us so dearly. And you are invited to come to this table with us this morning to remember that act of love and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross on our behalf. We do that to remember all that God has done for us, to remember the grace that has been poured out on our behalf. You don't have to be a member of our church to, to take this meal with us. All you need is faith in Jesus Christ and a belief that he died for your sins. And you are invited to enter into this grace and a relationship with Jesus. And Paul writes in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 about the bread. He said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come before you, we just want to return thanks for the brokenness of your body. Lord, for the fact that you are willing not just to die, but to face death on a cross. Death that was the worst way possible. Death that was excruciating. Death that was agony. Death that was the definition of suffering in our place. That, Lord, your body was broken on our behalf. But, Lord, through your brokenness, Lord, we are made whole. Through your suffering, we find hope. And that, Lord, we, again, we come with thankful heart to know that you are willing to endure so much pain, so much suffering, and even death, so that we could know forgiveness and life and hope and peace in our lives. Lord, thank you that you were willing to go to the cross in our place, that you were willing to be broken to make us whole. We thank you for your body, which was pierced and beaten, and again, for your suffering. Um, may we not forget it as we take this bread this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And Paul continues, saying in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's return thanks for the cup.
Father God. As your word says, the wages of sin is death. As your word says, there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. And Lord, we know that that penalty was upon us. As people born in sin, people who lived in sin, as sinners, every part of us, Lord, we face an eternity in hell and separation from you because of our sins until Jesus laid down his life on the cross. And in laying down your life and in shedding your blood, you took our place. Lord, you took the penalty that should have been ours and you took it upon yourself. And now, Lord, through your precious blood, our sins are washed away. Through your blood, we are made as white as snow. Through your blood and through your death, we now can know eternal life. And Lord, it's such a precious cost that you would die on the cross for us. And as we come to the table again this morning, as we take this cup, may, may the, the weight of that sacrifice just truly be known in our hearts. And may we be sorrowful over it, but may we also rejoice in it. Because the grace that costs us nothing costs you everything. And may we not take it lightly, but may we also live in it and celebrate it all of our days. Lord, we thank you for this cup that is the new covenant. And we rejoice that you loved us so much that you would lay down your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I always like to remind us that Paul goes on with that promise in verse 26 saying, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And the Lord is coming back. I want to thank you just for joining us this morning. Just as we go from here, may we remember Jesus Christ, his sacrifice, the, the truth of his grace, and that he loves each and every one of us, each and every person, as much as an infinite God is able to love. And he was willing to die on the cross for each and every one of us. And I pray that we would let that grace that we have received just transform our hearts. And that we would be willing to share that grace and that good news with others all around us. That we would be the messengers of hope with hearts aligned with God. Let's just pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. Uh, Lord, we thank you for just the way you have blessed us, the way you have spoken to us. Lord, we thank you for the truth that we have heard. And now, Lord, as you dismiss us, we dismiss us with your blessing. And we ask that the love of God, that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit would be with each and every one of us as we go from this place. In Jesus' name.
Amen.